Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the realest podcast in the dunya, the Three Muslims podcast, where your host Rami, Fayad, and Anhel. We're back with our brother Gabriel Al Romani. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. So last time, by the way, if you haven't watched the first two episodes, go watch them first. It is important, highly important that you watch them in order. So go back and make sure you check those out, inshallah. But when you finish episode two, this being episode three, five, finish off with the question that we're going to start today's episode off. What can we do with a potential spouse? What's permissible and what's not pre-nikah? Okay. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu rasulillah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us to understand the importance of, of this uh, podcast. So we're talking about intimacy and we're going to build towards that. And it's going to get more and more controversial, I guess, because it is very taboo, as we spoke in the first episode. Um, the Muslim community is quite, um, I would say, not, not ready, not willing to talk about these things, even though they're so important and they're all over us, all around us. Um, the world is a village. It's not anymore the East versus the West, or you can be safe in some country somewhere with the mass media, social media. Everyone's exposed to these things. And what we're trying to do in these podcasts is to offer some solutions to how to have some preemptive measures and some damage control, how to deal with these issues, how to talk about sexual education, what age we talked about that in the previous podcast as well. When can we address these issues? How should we address these issues with our kids? What does it mean to get ready for marriage? And when is there the right time? And so on. We talked about readiness and so on. So it goes to now to the issue. Okay. Like how, how do you, what is permissible? So let's say you are now a young man or woman, right? You're ready to get married. You want to get married. You somehow convince your parents or whatever. And you're ready to do it. So you find someone you like. Or how do you find someone? It's quite difficult, actually. Um, Muslims cannot just walk on the street and be like, hey, girl, what's up? You know, and start talking and just try to um, engage and flirt or whatnot, right? Uh, it's, it's Believe it or not, people are having a hard time find, finding spouses. People are having a hard time. The Muslims themselves from different, like I was talking to one of my clients, and the criteria that he's he's got a he's got a he's, he's very it's very narrow. So he it has to be a um, a person from the subcontinent, and it has to be from a doctor background. So obviously that's very very narrow pool, right? So it's gonna be very difficult. I told him right. So I, we tried to work with his parents to kind of widen the spectrum a little bit, but man, it was difficult. Right. So I think what I want to tell the brothers and sisters and just to raise awareness to their parents that I think you need to lax the the spectrum a bit. And I'm not saying lax the way or colleges do whatever. No, what I'm trying to say is that just widen the spectrum a little bit when it comes to options, when it comes to races, when it comes to uh, ethnicities, when it comes to backgrounds and so on. Just allow for a few other possibilities not just one or two options because it's very difficult so then again you're faced with you know being 29 30 35 and not being able to get married <clears throat> so it's very difficult to find someone to get married the what what are options so you have the online things right now whatever different platforms that they have and so these guys are making a lot of money 
um, it is a very sought after service to hook people online. And problem, the problem is that some of these applications and uh, websites have become like dating websites where, you know, even Zinn has been reported where people just hook up and whatnot and, you know, commit, commit indecencies and, and all these things, right? So maybe the intention to get these services was good to start with because obviously in such a huge ummah, right? You got 2 billion plus it's very difficult for people to, to connect. Not easy whatsoever. Okay? So the question becomes what is permissible, what is impermissible. So the scholars have been talking about this because the means and the, the avenues of getting to know a potential spouse have changed. So back in the days, what would happen is usually, traditionally, that a family would recommend someone or they would know someone. The mother would go and see the daughter of another friend and you know, they'll be friends together, families, and they would basically um, propose. And then the if the boy and the girl would see each other for a bit, and then they would get married. Of course, you didn't have some of the fitting or the problems that we have today with social media, pornography and all that. So in general, a lot of the marriages were moving forward. People didn't know anything. We're going to get to this when it comes to intimacy, right? They didn't have experiences other than just the normal desire and the fitra so humans are programmed to be intimate Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has programmed us and has created us in such a way that when a man and woman get together it just it just goes you know and if you have not had any corruption of your fitra and any previous experiences then naturally that's the only thing you know so it'll be a great experience in general subhanallah right that is a beautiful thing actually but Fast forward to the 21st century and the issues that we're faced with today, that's what we always say in Islam, there's what we should do and then there's the reality of what has happened, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with both. Allah tells us how we should behave, what should we do, and then what should we do in case we fail to do those things, right? How to make tawbah, how to amend, and how to get back to on track. But the issue is that once you've made a mistake, obviously you cannot forget it. So you're already somehow stained. <clears throat> but obviously 21st century right now, you don't have that. You know, if I was a father back in the days, you go to mosque, see a nice young man. He's coming for Fajr every day, mashallah. And you go and say, hey man, I have a daughter. You know, would you like to marry her? You know what I mean? And because I see you like a good man, mashallah, you're coming for Fajr, strong guy. You know, you're known in the community, right? This, this is how it would work. But now there's just so much happening. There's just so many people. How do you get to know someone? Okay, let's say you don't have a family, like uh, a Muslim family, like myself, for example. I did not have a Muslim family. When I became Muslim, I was just like, what, 19 years old? And I was in uh, university, and I wanted to get married. It's the first thing I wanted to do is get married. And subhanAllah, I tried and talk to people, and I was refused left and right. Why? Because I, I'm a new Muslim. So how does a new Muslim find a, a spouse? How does a new Muslim find someone to get married to? For a girl, a bit easier because she's a new Muslim, mashallah. Um, you know, they don't have to be looking, they're looked after usually. But for a guy, it's quite difficult to find a woman. How does he approach someone? How does he go 
to a family and say, hey, assalamu alaikum, I'm a new Muslim. Can I marry your daughter? Eh, most families will say no because they're worried, right? Because a marriage is also like kind of, you know, today anyway, and with the traditional cultures of Islam, that it's a union between two families. And there's expectations there to have in-laws and families and visit each other and whatnot. So like someone like myself, Angel, what do we do? Who do we go to? You know what I mean? Like who's going to represent us? Right. People have to understand this. And, you know, some of the scholars have looked at this and have said, OK, maybe the imam of the mosque can arrange or this and that. In the end, bottom line is that it's not that simple. So how do we do? Who do we marry? How do we go about it? It's not a very straightforward answer. Right. Bottom line is that we have to understand the general rules of Islam that we shouldn't step outside of and try our best to stick with. OK. And that is obviously not to do anything haram, not to commit any sins, not to, uh, you know, to, to do anything that would compromise our ethics and morals. Okay, these are the general terms that can be applied to be it online platforms or, you know, talking to someone and this and this. So bottom line is, is uh, you know, it's, it's not a black and white, it's not a, you know, clear cut answer like that. We need to look at what is available out there. So what is available? I said online. Okay, can you go online and look for a spouse? Yes, you can. It's permissible. Uh, you, what do you have? You go through profiles, right? Um, okay, but then it leads to the next thing. Then you get to contact that person. Um, what is the, the vetting procedure? Um, is there some kind of filter or someone who is supervising that? Can you send some questions to that person and they can send you questions? Yes, you can. Yes, you should. You should make sure that you have some understanding of who that person is before you get married. Can you be alone with them and have chats and discussions and all that? This is where it gets a bit tricky, right? Because people do that anyway, okay? Again, people need to understand that bottom line is people are going to do things. Does it make it permissible? No, not necessarily. But how do you deal with that? People do talk. People will communicate. People will have discussions, all right? People will have these kind of interactions. Uh, it's so easy today. And even if you're not looking for marriage, one way or the other, you're going to have to communicate to a female at work or this or that, exchange emails, uh, WhatsApps, and so on. And I think it's in almost every dynamic. I'm a, as a school principal. I have to interact with female teachers and, you know, messages. They send me messages, uh, groups, this, that. It, it will happen. I'm not going to be a hypocrite, you know, but there has to be certain guidelines in, in how you're going to go about it. You know what I mean? Uh, you find sometimes you go to a scholarly lecture, there'll be women who will line up to ask the sheikh a question. You know what I mean? So they will ask, they'll talk, they'll send a message, they'll send a note, they will this and that. It happens. The Prophet entertained discussions with women. Uh, they asked him questions. They came to him, as I said, even in the previous, you know, and sometimes they ask him questions about intimacy, about certain things, a man also. So there's a dynamics of discussion and conversation between the opposite gender that has to be, is going to be there, but there has to be some clear, you know, um, ethics and morals in how we go about it because it can lead, no doubt about it, to problems and to issues. And when people talk and talk and talk and then they lose respect for each other, then obviously that's going to cause problems uh, in the future. So 
it's it's hard for me to say this or that because there are also some differences of opinion as to what is allowed and what is not allowed. Uh, different scholars will say different things. Um, but bottom line is the general framework is to be careful, to have respect, to have, um, you know, uh, some form of protection. Uh, if there's There can be a way. Um, for example, right now, I introduced one brother to a family for marriage just recently, a couple of days ago. So the way we went about it is that the family created a group, a WhatsApp group, and he was added to it. And there's just the girl and the guy and a third person to just kind of overlook that, you know. And they are asking each other questions and communicating, but there's just someone else there who might see some of these discussions. You know what I mean? So that's how they they decided to go about it. And I think it's it's a it's a decent way because um, someone from her family is is there to just kind of overlook things, right? Now, what about two new Muslims, a girl and a boy who don't have anyone? Right? They they and they do come and they say, look, we've been talking for a long time and we're talking. Uh, and her father knows that I'm talking to her or her mother knows I'm talking to her or someone knows that I'm talking to her. Yeah, I understand. I'm not going to I'm not going to say that this is the best case scenario. It's OK. But these things happen. So when I'm talking about in these podcasts, I'm talking about the reality of what happens. I'm not going to say permissible and permissible this and that because there's a huge discussion. However, what we know very clear, what's impermissible in Islam is for two people to be alone together because then it can escalate for two people to be in what's called khalwa or to be, you know, in this private setting, which can be, you know, in WhatsApp, it can be through, you know, chatting, through video, whatever it is. These things can lead to problems. And subhanAllah, you, you're a human being. You're going to slip. Like we know the story of Barsisa the monk, right? We're mentioning it. He was much better than all of us, right? And he slipped into it, right? So the story that the Prophet told us about that story was to show that even a very religious person can easily slip, right? So Islam has put some guidelines and some has demarcated some, you know, territory for us to be careful not to step out of that. Bottom line, again, does it happen? Do people really respect these rules and norms? No. Can you just say, okay, a lot of people are, are saying, look, we cannot, there's no way. So I think the communities have to come up with new modalities of people to get to know each other, to um, to see each other. I think it, it is a crisis that we're facing in today. This is a big crisis that people are delaying marriage, not only because of excuses of work and not having money. It's also genuinely because they cannot find someone. They cannot find someone to get married to. So people will, you know, other options are obviously in university. You see a sister and you like her and you approach someone or you talk to someone. Do you know her? Talk to your parents. Okay. They might reject you. They might accept you. I don't know. You see someone at the mosque. You talk to the imam. Approach the family. These are some of the options that can happen, inshallah. And I definitely believe, though, that to find a way that is halal to be able to vet each other. Vetting each other is very important. Don't just go into the marriage without having no clue who this person is. And that's what the Prophet said. Make sure, for example, the one of the Sahabi said, make sure you see her. So can you see the woman? Yes, you should be able to see a woman. Some say even that you should 
be able to see her in her house, for example. Uh, you can ask to see her without hijab. Some say no. Um, there's a discussion and debate on that. But some say yes. If you ask for permission, her family is okay with it, that you can maybe go into the house uh, with her family and then, you know, she just wears like her house clothes or whatever and comes and you can see her. Okay. Um, some Sahaba were like hiding, you know, the Prophet and he told the Prophet like he was hiding and looking at her, but Niniya was not bad to like check her out or like sexual or something. It was just to see if he likes her, if there's chemistry. Chemistry is very important. I think a lot of Muslims make the mistake of just marrying without having no desire or chemistry for the other person. And then they think, oh, it, it will come, it will come. You know, um, when the Prophet married Khadija, radiallahu anha, um, subhanallah, the, the Imam Ghazali, uh, Sheikh Muhammad Ghazali, he, he mentions in his, um, in his seerah, he says uh, that the, the uncle of the Prophet said, Muhammad is like the stallion that cannot be controlled. That's how he described him. Okay, like the stallion that cannot be ringed. Okay, the words. And he desires Khadija and Khadija desires him. You know, it was like a, like a, a speech, you know. Like, subhanAllah, when I, I don't know, when I, when I hear those words, it's like there's, it's not like, oh, you know, we just get married and let's see what happens. Like Khadija proposed to the Prophet Khadija was infatuated I hope I'm using the correct word and no one's going to, you know, have my neck for this. But she liked the Prophet and she liked what he represented. She saw him, uh, what, she, what he did for her. He was a man who could get things done. You understand? That's why when he went with the caravan and he did the business, okay, he get things done. So she was impressed by that. And she got a lot of proposals. She was a very wealthy woman. Many men wanted her. She wanted him. Why? Because he was a real guy. And that's what I love the description. The stallion that cannot be ringed. Because people might think the Prophet was just like, you know, just like soft, you know. And he was soft when he had to be soft. The Prophet was no just, you know, soft person. Like he was, he was, he was strong. When he had to be strong, he was very strong. And when they, it called for him to be softer, then he was soft. So um, I think a lot of people make a mistake in marrying without knowing each other, without seeing each other, without vetting. And I think the community need to provide avenues, halal avenues for brothers and sisters to vet each other, to ask each other questions, scenarios to discuss things, to feel, to have some proximity to an extent in public setting in a way where, you know, someone's aware, where they can feel each other. Because you're going to live with this person next, the whole your whole life. Don't expect these things are just going to happen. They're just going to change. A lot of people say that after marriage, things change totally, 180 degrees, you know. And... They didn't know. They wasn't. They weren't expecting that. They had a certain image of how marriage is going to be when they get married, and then they say, "I feel like I married a different person. Like I didn't know who he is." And I'm like, "Yeah, but did you like ask him some questions?" But no. But I believe like our elders and our family they thought that is right, and I just wanted to. Yeah, of course you should be nice to your family and obey them, and they want only good for you. 
But the Prophet said very clearly that you have to seek the permission of the person. You have to seek the permission of the woman. And the permission of the virgin is her silence. Okay? So even the virgin woman will be asked, you know, do you like this guy? You want to marry him? Not like, okay, guys, we're getting married. With all due respect to some of the cultures, you know, for the arranged marriages, it's you're, you, it, it's not necessarily... People say, yeah, but, you know, our marriage worked. A lot of marriages before, because of the cultural pressures, were working. But today you're living in a society where individualism is encouraged. There's so many resources. If education is, you know, exploded. Everyone's doing things. Everyone's... So people are very independent now. Independence is a culture where that's where people are just walking their own ways now. It's so easy to divorce today. So that's why the divorce rates are so high. Back in the days, it was not so easy. So people stuck together, even though they might have suffered, but they're just doing it. Like I know many couples uh, that I've dealt with uh, from the other, that generation who haven't slept together for 20 years. They're just together for, uh, for the children, just for the appearances. 20, 25 years, they have not touched each other. They just live like strangers in a house together. So yes, it looks like they're together, but they're not together. Right? Just for suffer, And they suffer. And men have broken down and cried. And men have, and women have broken down and cried. Because keeping up appearances is not easy. And that's, again, our problem as an ummah. We are very, working very hard to keep up appearances. Yet when someone comes and talk real talk, we just shut them down. And we don't like it. It's uncomfortable because it's true. And it, it forces us to move out of our comfort levels and to face reality. And it hurts. It, it, it's, it's not feeling well because we know it's real. We know that this is what, this is not, you cannot, we cannot hide anymore. It's the 21st century. Information flows faster than water. You know what I mean? You cannot run away from it. But we need to solve these problems. So we need to find systems where brothers and sisters can meet, talk, vet in a halal environment and not be forced to marry if they don't like it and not be rushed till they understand each other. And yes, in a way to feel that there's some, some um, attraction. A lot of men make these mistakes and women. There's no attraction for that person. And trust me, you will know what attraction is, man. When you're attracted to someone, you would be like, am I really attracted to this person? I don't know. Come on, man. You will know whether you're attracted to someone. That's like, it's just instinct. And same for the girl. The woman also, you know, they don't verbalize it as much, but they do. Girls like a handsome guy. They like, you know, they have a certain idea of what a man should be. And it's okay. It's their right, isn't it? It's their right. That's why Khadija had a certain idea of what she wanted from a man. That's why she refused all the other guys from Quraysh who came with money and this and that, and she didn't want it because she had a certain type that she wanted and she got it. And it was the Prophet ﷺ, right? But when we force it and we push it and the girl makes the mistake saying, yeah, I think uh, I'm sure that after nikah, I will fall in love with him. Or I, I'm not saying that, oh, all of a sudden you fall in love with him before marriage. 
but you'll feel something. And if you're not true to your feelings, you might have problems. I'm not saying the feelings don't develop later on. Yes, in some cases they will. But again, going based on my experience, dealing with these counseling couples, a lot of people go down even more and they regret marrying and then they divorce or have problems and whatnot. And same for the guys. The guys think that a lot of guys come to the dean and they say, you know, uh, okay, uh, I'm going to marry a religious girl and she's so religious and da, da, da. But she's a bad wife. She's bad wife material. And she's religious, mashallah. She's praying the whole night, but she's not sleeping with you. And the guy's suffering. So guys, you know, uh, I don't know, addicted to porn because his wife is praying qiyam the whole night and fasting every day. You know, right? And she's very religious, mashallah. But actually she's not because she did not understand what Islam really is in priority because it is fard for her to make sure her husband is happy with her while it is sunnah for her to pray qiyam al layl and to fast. Okay? And this is very clear. So it means she did not understand Islam properly. So her religion is not good. Actually, her religion, even though she's doing, appearing to be very religious, but actually her understanding is, is not correct. Right? But he jumped. He prematurely selected her because he was fooled by the image. And he did not ask her the correct questions. Because in the end, the image has to meet what's inside. If the two have, they're not congruent, then you're having a problem. So you might marry a woman who's like a scholar, mashallah, but she's a, not a good wife. And Allah knows best if that her prayers and her things will be accepted while her husband is suffering. You know what I mean? Uh, again, priorities. Islam is a deen of priorities. It's very important to have priorities and to understand what comes in where. Is praying bad? No, it's very good. Is praying, you know, say, I'm praying qiyam, I'm praying to Allah. Yes, you are very good, mashallah, but I'm not happy with you. You understand? And Allah doesn't ask you to pray extra more than the five daily prayers, but he asks you to give me some attention. Right? So again, there's a proper flaw in the vetting procedure. Same with a girl. Oh, you know, he's a nice guy. Everyone thinks he's a nice guy. Everyone likes him. I didn't really feel for him, but, you know, I just went with it. And then she's like, you know, she's rejecting intimacy. And then you ask her, why are you? She's like, I'm, I'm disgusted by him. I feel like puking every time I look at him. I'm like, but didn't you see him when he, before he got married? Yeah, but I thought that maybe, I don't know if Allah will make it easy for me. Okay. You thought Allah will make it easy for you. May Allah make it easy for you, but it still doesn't change the way you feel about him, isn't it? Like, I've, you know, some clients say, I can't even like touch my husband or I can't even look at him. Like, I can't. So what do you do in that case? How do you teach the Muslim Ummah that you have to have some preemptive measures before you get married? Don't just jump in. Don't just, you know, do it just like that. No, the Sahabas, yani, subhanallah, they married, they divorced. The Sahabas vetted, they looked, they tried, they, you know, it was, marriage was not so taboo as it is today. It was not so overrated as it is today. Honestly, I challenge anyone to look into the life of the Sahaba. I challenge everyone to see how they looked at marriage. Subhanallah, 
uh, the wife of, of Ja'far radiallahu an, right? I mean, she married Ja'far, okay? She married um, after Ja'far, uh, uh, I think, you know, Abu Bakr and Ali, right? I mean, subhanAllah, you know, you see marrying three Sahabas, right? She could have been like, no, I married, khalas, I'm done, you know? No, subhanAllah, the way they looked at marriage was totally different. The way the Prophet married Safiya, uh, you know, his wives. I don't know. Where are we? Like, why do we not take that as a standard? Why don't we look into the seerah of the Prophet to extract solutions for our life? Why are we allowing our cultures and our own minds and understanding to take precedence over the Quran and Sunnah? People keep saying Quran, Sunnah, Quran, Sunnah. But when you put it to be in pragmatic Quran and Sunnah application, then where is the Quran Sunnah? Right? Where is the Quran Sunnah? It's culture, it's this, it's that. There's racism, discrimination amongst the communities. Oh, he's like this. Oh, he's like, he's white, he's black. No, I don't want black. No, I don't want white. Oh, he's Somali. He's this. He's, he's a convert. Uh, no, it has to be like this. It has to be like that. It's like, man, you know, we're having so many problems. Where is Islam here? Why are we having different mosques with different ethnicities? Where is the, the brotherhood, the universal brotherhood that we, we call upon? We're racist. We're dis we discriminate so much, especially when it comes to marriage. And that is why it makes it very difficult for certain people to get married. It makes huge problem for a lot of people to get married. You know, uh, there's a certain, you know, uh, tire of people only who's going to get more chances to get married because of the way we set up our cultures and our, our, our societies. So these are some of the challenges we're faced with. And I think the, the scholars need to talk more about it. We need to re-examine the fiqh of dealings of marriage, of pre-marriage, um, have some pre-marriage courses. We're talking about intimacy. Yeah, you guys have no clue what they're doing. And the women don't know what to expect. And that's where the, the first night is one of the most uh, traumatic nights for many women and men. Because we're not addressing these issues. We are not vetting each other properly. We're not preparing for marriage because we delay it. And we delay talking about it and edu edu educating about it. It's so taboo. It's so, you know, the non-Muslims are... You know, tasting the cake before they buy it. They go here, left, right. They do this, they do that. They date, da ta 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 all this, right? So even so, they're still failing. And forget about it. Marriage right now is not even on their list, right? It's so much easier to just mess about. So you're competing with that. You know what I mean? You're competing with that. And you're putting all these extra blocks on the way. And then again, we're wondering why. We're delaying marriage. Why marriages are failing? Because we are not making it easier. We're not offering solutions. So scholars need to talk about it. I, I, we cannot only us solve this issue other than raise awareness. We hope that scholars see this, uh, this podcast and they say, okay, let's get together, have a conference where we discuss. Like right now in Malaysia, on the 4th, there's a brother that I know. And he's having, I'll tell you how he does it. And I, you know, I don't mind advertising or talk. I mean, it's going to be probably by this time it gets po uh, podcasted, but um, I think it's called Soul Seekers. 
And basically what he does is he, he invites everyone to one hotel, okay? And they pay a fee and then they all go to a hotel with, you know, men, women, daughters, fathers, wallies, families, right? And then he has a certain ticketing system. And then there's a sort of a filter. So you kind of like, you know, uh, there's some matching that happens. And then in the end, basically, there's these open tables in public where brothers and sisters can sit face to face. And then they basically like that's like the last stage of the conference where they can discuss and ask each other, you know, questions and the Wallis can be there or family or anyone representative. And then they basically if that is okay, then they take it to the next level. And the, I think they facilitate for another meeting and then some more discussions. And then if it, it's good to go. And they agree and they 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 tie the knot, you know. You ever That's, heard of a speed dating? What is it called? Speed dating. Speed dating, no. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, that's is what it? it sounds like. Maybe that's where they took it from. <laughs> I was about yeah. to say where the sign up set. They halalified <laughs> it. Uh so yeah, so I mean that's an option. I mean, I'm not sure. Um, because it is open, it is quite controlled from what I looked at. I'll tell you what it what it's called because I've advertised for it, but it's something that that can be an okay. It's called. Uh, Bismillah. By the way, Akhi, this is going up towards the end of Ramadan, so I think it's enough time. Yeah, but no, I think this is happening on the third of April. Oh, it's already like past. I think. Oh, so then far. we're good. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's it's mashallah. I mean, it's it's a good. Uh, it's a good. Will you marry me? It calls. 30, 33 matching success rate, events for singles and divorcees, family members welcome, complete privacy and confidentiality. And it's in Kuala Lumpur, Mid-Valley, Citadel Hotel, whatever. So it's a way to facilitate, you know, some of these meetings where you can do it in public and whatnot. Alhamdulillah. I mean, that's that's some. I I I wish I'd have more solutions to to give you. You know what I mean? But it's it's a very sensitive topic because, again, the 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 line between halal and haram can be very fine. You know what I mean? And very easy to step mm -hmm. over. Let me let me ask one question. If that was all for that topic, give some advice to brothers that are in a haram relationship, mm -hmm. or have you know just. It's not a halal, it's not a nikah, it's not a marriage. And they weren't religious, all right? They weren't fully following Islam. They were kind of, you know, they knew what they're doing is wrong, but they weren't really, you know, 10 toes down about Islam. They recently got more into Islam. And now it's kind of like a contradiction because they realize that I follow Islam now, which tells me I shouldn't do this. And I, I want to, you know, I stopped all sins. I want to stop this too. But... Uh, you know, I still don't want to leave the person or maybe they're just like, you know, it's been years, they're invested. What do these people do? Yeah, I mean, they just have to man up and just, just tie the knot, you know, I mean, just make it serious. If you're serious about that person, you really like them, just make it halal, you know. The difference between halal and haram is, is very simple, you know. It's the nikah, is your witness, is your mahar. Just, just, just do it right. Uh, repent. And just make it clean, uh, even if what the person, yeah, go on. even if the person is not a Muslim, you know, as a Christian mm -hmm. or whatever, Al Kitab, you can still marry them, and you know, pray to Allah that Allah Subhanahu will make it easy. 
or you decide to to take uh, to take uh, take a walk, man, and just leave it, you know, for Allah, right? And that is something that is not easy. I understand that. I understand that people have spent a lot of time together and they got used to each other. They love each other. But if you really love that person, that make it get Allah's blessing in it. You know what I mean? It's not difficult to make nikah. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. Make the nikah. You know what I mean? Make the nikah. Is, is it can be happening in minutes, you know what I mean? Why earn the anger of Allah while you can earn his pleasure? So imagine all that time you're spending with that woman is a sin. And all you have to do is make a nikah. So all the time you'll spend with her will be an ajr or a blessing. It's just as simple. You just totally flip everything, you know what I mean? By just making the nikah. So make the nikah. If you really love her, you really care about her, then care about her, you know, her deen and her life and her and yours as well. And just do it right. Just make nikah. You know, don't don't make it difficult. Don't think mm -hmm. about this huge marriage. Bro, just hit up the imam, go to the masjid, pick two brothers to make, you know, to be your witnesses. I don't know who she is, if she has a wali or not. If you know, if she's a Muslim, what? Make the nikah, you know, and get the imam involved to be the wali if it is. And just make the nikah. Just do it right. Rami, how quick can nikahs be? How quick can nikahs be? Mm -hmm. Very quick. Very quick. Five minutes. Three minutes. Five minutes. Yeah. Bismillah. Yeah. Just read like some, uh, just read like khutbah hajjah, like what you hear at the beginning of like the khutbah, a little bit in Arabic, talk about a few verses in the Quran, um, and then ask per, um, for the proposal, acceptance. Congratulations. Bismillah. Alhamdulillah. Hijab, Kabul, Mahar, done. All right, man. So, Rami, you're going to do my nikah for me. I'm going to have Gabriel and Fayed as my two witnesses. That's it. That, uh, it's, it'll be as simple as that, bro. I, I know people would cringe over this, but honestly, it is basically as simple as that. Like the Prophet said, made nikah coming back from war. The Prophet said, <laughs> made, yeah, I mean, you know, people will mm -hmm. be like surprised, you know, but that's the reality, you know. Again, I don't know what's wrong with our community sometimes, but I think we just need to go back to these simple, you know, KISS, keep it sweet and sunnah, you know, keep it sweet <laughs> and simple. And just uh, just take it up and just, because again, the, the harder we make it, the more haram. Because haram is very easy, you know, it's very simple, right? It's, it's very simple. You see this whole ide ideal ideological way that marriage has been set up. And that's not marriage, bro. That's that's a wedding. That's that's you know you gotta spend this much month's paycheck on a ring or oh, a ring, and then you gotta have random people at your wedding you don't even want. You gotta propose. You gotta do some elaborate thing. That's what that's what you see watching fairy tale Netflix, Disney. You know, uh, we're talking about marriage. We're not talking about weddings. Yes, a walima, you know, it is sunnah to to have a nice ceremony to celebrate, but to make it halal. I would put that over cultural norms, societal norms, anything like that. I guess that's that's what it is, right? It's about what what's been infiltrated from the media, and there's nothing. If you want, look, if you can have a big party or you have the ability, khalas, man, you know, go ahead. But do your nikah first, become halal. Then, if you guys want to do something later on, or you want to plan for a party or whatever, it's all good. If you got the finances, if not. If you want to start your life with a loan and a debt, 
then that's not the right person for you, man. If she's going to be willing to push you through that stuff, mm-hmm. okay, to start your life with a big debt to pay, I don't know what much money and this and that to have this big party that she's going to be dancing in front of strange men and whatnot. Uh, I, I, I think you should reconsider that. You know what I mean? But if you guys want to have some kind of thing, you know, a reception, Walima after, and you, you know, you, you can, it's like chump change for you and no issues. Bismillah, go ahead. But if it's going to cause any strain and any problem on you, and then you're going to start your life in the minus, is that what you want? I did not want that. He got hey guys, all like university tuition fees and all that now. What? I said you got me thinking about like university tuition fees and all of that. Starting off negative, subhanAllah. But, uh, it's tough, man. It's tough, right? I mean, that's that's what it is. Most people will be working up to their, you know, thirties, forties, paying off student loans, paying off debts, because yeah. you know the what do you call it? the the culture conditions you to make sure you tick all these boxes. Do I have this? Do I have that? Tick, 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 tick. But, you know, uh, a real man, he is not, he's not a slave to anyone other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's one of the conditions of being a real man. Mm-hmm. If you have, if you owe someone something, hmm, then you are basically indebted to them. And it is a big issue in Islam. It is a big issue. Because if you die that way, then there's a problem. Right? So, you have that in the back of your mind. If anything changes, that dynamics of your lifestyle, look with COVID-19, how many people suffered because they were in a fake lifestyle? They had the car, they had the house. When you look at them, you're like, wow, mashallah, what a cute family and what a successful person. As soon as they lost their job or their finances tilted, boom, everything was gone because it was just you know, smoke. It was nothing real, right? So be, be careful how you position yourself. You know what I mean? You might think you own things, but actually they own you. So a real man does not allow himself to be even look it, like as one brother said, you know, he says Islamic banking. If you cannot afford it, don't buy it. You know what I mean? Basically, that's what he said, you know, because everyone wants to take a loan. Everyone's saying, oh, halal money, Islam loan, this and that. Hmm. Okay, but what you're going to do? You're going to be in minus for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. He's going to hurt. I don't know. Uh, my friend that gave me Shahada, we entered university at the same time. He, um, he exited university two years later than me, but with no debt, zero debts. Um, I exited university with, I think it was $28,000 debt. Okay, because I had some scholarships and I was working and whatnot. So I think I had about 28,000 when I graduated. But at that time, I think I was just two, three years into Islam. And I just made my move to the Khalij. It was eight months, bro. I was eating noodles and, you know, my treat was like a McDonald's burger, you know, because it was like halal, right? So I'll eat some Big Mac here and there, noodles, sausages, cereal. And I think I paid the debt in like eight months. You know what I mean? It was like literally tightened the belt. And since then, I did not owe anyone anything, man. Like I taken a few things here and there, a few loans here and there, and then I just readjusted. And alhamdulillah, 
um, you know, it was just the biggest blessing in the life was to like just to go to sleep knowing that you don't own you don't owe anyone anything. And it, you graduated happens, with you graduated with twenty thousand CAD. Twenty eight thousand loan, yeah. Canadian dollars. Yeah, OSAP, yeah. That's actually pretty low for. Yeah, because yeah, I had some, I had some scholarships and I was working as well at the same time, because by the time I realized that it was haram and whatnot, mm. so when I became Muslim, I tried to ch- make a few adjustments. But I think what I was trying to make the point was that my friend, the guy who gave me shahada, Kamal, he graduated two years later, uh, but no debt, zero debt, because he applied the principle. He told me before we entered university at that time I was not Muslim yet. And I was like, he was just already planning. And I was like, bro, just do it easy, man. Just take a loan. It's so simple. And he's like, nope, it's haram. This is going to come to hunt me. And I was like, then I understood. You know, I understood. It's facts. So, alhamdulillah. Yeah. It's facts. It's a lot of times we see something and we're like, oh, I, I like that. And then somehow we justify uh, a necessity for it. We're like, oh, I need that for what it is that I'm doing. But it's like, well, maybe right now you need it, but you can't afford it and you got to wait a little bit longer. And just because you didn't wait now, it's going to take like six to eight months to finish paying it off. Yeah. No doubt, no doubt. This was a good episode. May Allah protect us. Islam is easy. Islam is simple. It's not supposed to be complicated. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. No doubt. Alhamdulillah. Oftentimes, yo, we're the only ones that complicated ourselves for our life. You know? Yeah, true. Yeah, that's true. I agree. Yeah. Sharia, Sharia is so beautiful. Sharia is, you know, no interest, no riba, none of this insane stuff. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the objective, right? That you're supposed to be a servant and a slave only to Allah, yeah. right? Well, if you look at the, uh, the modern system, and subhanAllah, the non Muslims have figured it out, you know? Um, and that's why you find that again, the ones that are leading the game is them because they realized early enough. They, you know, they readjusted their working habits. They unplugged from the system. They took leap of faith. They risked. Without risking, you'll never ever be able to make. It. If you just play it safe, and this is not just you know me talking about like I don't know some the monk who sold this Ferrari or something, some book like that. I'm talking about when you look at the life of the Prophet uh, the risk was calculated, but I mean, he risked a lot and they, 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 they took a lot, you know, I mean, just the battle of Badr, you know, what a risk, you know, and so many things leaving the battle of Uhud, what a risk. Of course, they always put their trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he was a prophet, but uh, we see that life was, was, was a risk. You know, mm-hmm. the risk to live Mecca, the comfort to go to Medina, to a new land, um, everything, you know, the risk that it takes to go to Taif, you know, to, to receive what you receive from there. There was always something. If you don't mm-hmm. risk, if you're just going to be comfortable and just wait for your paycheck, and that's what they condition you to do. And mm-hmm. sometimes you get punished from trying to, to unplug from the system. Right? So... It's, it's comfortable to be where you are in the familiar. It's uncomfortable. And that's where the growth is, is in the uncomfortable zone. And again, just look around what people have done. But people still, they, there's that voice in their mind that tells them, 
you can't do it. And then there's their families who add to that and say, how dare you even try? You're going to put us in trouble. You're going to, you know, get us away from this comfortable zone that we're used to. So there's so many voices around you telling you you're going to fail even before you start. And if you listen to these voices, you will fail. You will fail. And you're going to hesitate a lot. And the greatest, another greatest nemesis and, you know, uh, for a real man is hesitation. Hesitating is, is destructive, is your, is your kryptonite. You hesitate as a man, it is weakness. It, it paramounts to weakness. And the more you hesitate in life and the more you stumble and you trip on the, you know, in your path because you don't like to be uncomfortable, the more you are going to lose. And you're going to reach a point in your life you're going to regret it. And you're going to ask yourself, what if I didn't? What if I took the chances? And you're going to mm -hmm. regret that. You will regret it for sure. And sorry, I need to, to say even to the brothers, we're talking about intimacy and marriage. A lot of times it's the, the wife that tells you, you know, just, just stick to what you have. Just don't do this. Come on. You're going to put us in difficulties. You know, this. And the guy, you know, just st stays and just submits. And a lot of people will, will tell you you can't do it. And it's up to you. you. You can prove them right by just, or you can prove them wrong. And mm -hmm. it's up to you what you're going to do. So, but I don't know. The system that we have today designed um, post-World War, the you know, nine to five, the rat race, you know, in the morning, when I look in the morning, the traffic, everyone on the, jumping on the highway, everyone eating while driving, everyone stressed. You know, coming home, the same thing, reaching home late. You know, no, no doubt we're going to have problems in our, in our society, in our communities. This, mm. is not, this is not the way to live. We didn't live like this for thousands of years. Facts. For thousands of years, we did not live like this. We lived based on what we needed. <laughs> we traded. We did business. We had trade. We had all kinds of stuff. And we were doing good. And now for the past 50 to 70 years, there's a system after the industrial revolution, after all these things where, you know, it's almost like, you know, I cannot unplug. I cannot do something. And not everyone will. I'm not saying most people will not do it. That's the whole thing. It's just a, it's just a natural, you know, way. The ones who will, who will wake mm -hmm. up, will do it. And the ones who won't, will not. Not all people believe, not all Sahaba uh, stayed on Islam, not all uh, people, you know, I mean, we cannot call them Sahaba because obviously one of the reasons that you're a Sahaba is to die as a Muslim and believing in the Prophet. But basically not all the people follow the Prophet, not all the people went that way. Not all the people are going to uh, become entrepreneurs, not all the people are going to do podcasts and, and make a living out of it even. You know what I mean? Not all the people are going to take these risks, you know, to quit their job or to, you know, to, to, to reinvent themselves or to rebrand themselves or to do something that others have not, or even that some have done already. And you're like, you know what? I can do it as well. If this person did it. I can do it. Most people are going to be okay to just move on with what they call normal life. But I mean, it's not really normal. You know, and that's why, you know, we cannot, I don't know, Islam, as you said, is simple, you know, mm -hmm. that's why we're having, I mean, imagine, bro, talking about marriage, right? That's why I had also with some of my clients, I said, 
you know, with the women that work. Okay. I said to the, to the sisters, you're complaining about you're not being intimate with your husband. But he's coming home 8 p.m. And you're coming home at 9 p.m. You know, of course, you're not. You, you, what do you mean you're going to be intimate? That's the last thing you want to do after a day of horrible interactions in your office with some bad boss who's screaming on your back and this and that. And all that is affecting you, all that negative energy. And then you come home. And couples are saying, like, we have intimacy once every two weeks. And we're having problems. Honestly, bro, once every two weeks. Mm -hmm. Like, this is now an average amongst the mm -hmm. uh, nine to five working Muslim ummah who um, both, both uh, husband and wife are working. Once every two weeks on the weekend, maybe. And it's because it's so staged and it's so, like, programmed, it, it loses, you know. It's like not even, you know, there's no spontaneous, you know, no spontaneous, no sparks, no nothing. Okay, we're being intimate Saturday night. That's like the night. You know what I mean? And it yeah, is every you, two weeks. You can't plan intimacy. You know what I mean, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's like, that sucks. It's like so horrible. It's like, okay, uh, let's make, it's like, imagine you, you book it in your agenda. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, okay, reminder, uh, 30 minutes uh, left till intimacy. You know, <laughs> like you, you get one of those screen, you know, reminds like, what? That's horrible, bro. Oh my God. Bro, you spend the entire week just looking at that calendar. Like, oh, I can't <laughs> wait till Saturday. <laughs> yeah, it comes just, around. She's like, oh, I'm working overtime exactly or like your my mom boss, calls you or something a, like that you know my boss needs me for an overnight uh, yeah, extra yeah. credit my parents are coming so over you know what be I mean? so it's mad. Like, oh man like Listen, come on yeah y'all heard that stat the most the time where most people have a heart attack like the highest percentage of heart attacks monday morning, monday morning 7 a.m yep mm -hmm. Jeez. monday morning yeah going back to work man but guys and girls, a wonderful way to sum up all the points that Brother Gabriel Al-Romani just made is if you take a risk for Allah, you will get a risk from Allah. I like risk that. meaning sustenance for anyone that doesn't know what that is. Mm. Sustenance, money, just security. Mashallah. It's a good saying, Mashallah. Yeah, mashallah. Bars, bro. It's as if I was a SoundCloud rapper once upon a time. Write that down. <laughs> risk. <laughs> Mashallah. <laughs> nice. With that being said, this was a tremendous episode. Jazakallah khair. Mashallah. May Allah bless the three of you immensely and all those who are watching. Amen. Make sure to keep up with the series, inshallah, when we release episode four. And again, if for some reason you watch episode three without watching the first two, go watch those two, inshallah. Like, comment, subscribe. Check out Brother Gabriel El Romani, inshallah, on YouTube and Instagram. And what are your other platforms? Twitter? Yeah. No, not so much. Facebook, man, IGTV Facebook. and YouTube, man. That's popping. A lot of growth. I've seen you. Didn't you say songs. you got an OnlyFans? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, we, we, there, there is a problem in the Muslim community with that after post-COVID. Yeah. yeah. What? There's a lot of complaints. Yeah, I mean, I, I know people again would cringe, but there's been a lot of complaints of that. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. Well, what do they they have the hijabs like on there and then they just take the hijab off let's leave it to next episode isn't it uh, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah yeah inshallah <laughs> alright with that being said may Allah bless you all Allah ma'atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa kina adab al-nar assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh